TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. And welcome to... Overnight America, Thursday, yes. How are we doing on this chilly Thursday night? Things will start to warm up a little bit. We're going to talk to part of the Pew Research Center. They do this thing called State Line, and every year they put out the state of the states, essentially what are the universal problems that each state are trying to tackle. And we're going to be talking to someone from State Line this hour. Got a other really cool uh, Discovery Plus series, one of the hosts of a show called Undercover Billionaire, where essentially she goes into places and she tries to make people money. Kind of a weird idea, and I've never really thought that I would get into something like this, but it's kind of a cool concept. There's a lot of these rescue type shows, so we'll do that next hour. It's hard to believe that this is one of those days in history that some people will remember and don't, and it's also strange in a way to put this into comparison to anything else because you can't you can't quite compare this to 9-11 because it wasn't a terrorist attack but the challenger explosion i feel is like one of those events that you are always going to remember where you are when you heard you know how you felt when you heard it and it's also one of those things where depending on how old you are it means something different for me it was i was too young to remember it you know, you go back to 1986. This is well before my time of remembering. I, you know, I've been three years old at the time. Probably no, I'd been less than three. And of course, you don't have memories of that, but my parents do. It was something like if you're of the you know old boomer generation, you remember the Kennedy assassination and what that was like, and the emotions and everything that went around with that. And for me, it's September 11th. I remember exactly what that was like, and there were so many different emotions that went on with that. Now you start to find a whole different generation that has no memory of September 11th. You want to know one of the strange things? Uh, I was at Texas Roadhouse and I looked up on the wall and they have those signs that said you could purchase alcohol if you're born after this date. And the sign was old enough where it didn't have the 2000s. It goes back to 1900. But we're at the point where if you were born in the year 2000, you'd be turning 21 this year. If you're born in the year 2000, you'd be one. When September 11th hit, that to me is strange. Different events happen at different times. And the way that they covered on ABC, it's kind of hard to watch a live event and try to understand it at the same time. 
just like it was on September 11th, just like it would have been during the Kennedy assassination, anything like that. ABC News was still trying to gather their head around all of it. Good morning, everyone. There appears to have been a very serious accident involving the space shuttle Challenger. The launch took place just a few minutes ago, a few moments ago from Cape Canaveral. It had been delayed four times. It appeared to be a good launch at the point of departure from the pad at Cape Canaveral. There had been, as we said, previous delays of four different attempts. This was the fourth one. It had been delayed a couple of hours by ice, by a faulty gauge. Then it appeared everything was good for a launch. But shortly after the launch, there was an explosion. We have a tape now, a replay of the launch of the shuttle Challenger this morning. Yeah, and then they reshow it and they, they talk over it and they mention the astronauts' names. And I was watching the footage and I can't imagine what I would have gone through. One of the interesting things I didn't recognize at the time was that when they were showing the footage and they were going through the national newscast, that would have been ABC at least, they were talking about how their cameramen were capturing parachutes coming down. So the initial explosion, they looked at that and they were hesitant to mention, uh, it doesn't look like there's any survivors in this one. They didn't say anything like that. What they talked about was, we're seeing two parachutes come down to the earth. We don't know where it's going to land. We don't know what's on those parachutes, but we see two parachutes. At the time, they were still trying to figure this out, and they didn't realize that two giant rockets exploding in the, I mean, in the atmosphere was more than what a human could survive. I don't know how optimistic you might have been watching that, what the emotions were, if you knew immediately, if you didn't know, if you're waiting but the Challenger explosion, I know, had so many different people have memories. And whenever the anniversary comes up, we always talk about it, and we should always talk about it. What I wanted to play for you was the four-minute speech that Ronald Reagan gave that night. It was a fantastic speech. In fact, it may be one of his most memorable speeches. Outside of Tear Down This Wall, which was a great speech, this one, the Challenger explosion of the one that I think... Uh, that the nation watched and may have even cried. It was poetic. Whoever wrote that speech just absolutely wrote it in a way that captured the emotion in that time that I mean, if you put a pin in American history and you wanted to exactly see how someone felt at this time, this is what you would listen to. And I thought, well, on the anniversary here, because we're some years removed, what, 35 years removed now? Here is Ronald Reagan's full speech, which you would have heard that night. And I'm guessing you would have heard live here on KMOX. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd planned to speak to you tonight to report on the State of the Union. But the events of earlier today have led me to change those plans. Today is a day for mourning and remembering. Nancy and I are pained to the core by the tragedy of the shuttle Challenger. We know we share this pain with all of the people of our country. This is truly a national loss. Nineteen years ago, almost to the day, we lost three astronauts in a terrible accident on the ground. But we've never lost an astronaut in flight. We've never had a tragedy like this. And perhaps we've forgotten the courage it took for the crew of the shuttle. But they, the Challenger 7, were aware of the dangers, but overcame them and did their jobs brilliantly. We mourn seven heroes. Michael Smith, Dick Scobie, Judith Resnick, Ronald McNair, Ellison Onizuka, Gregory Jarvis, and Krista Mikolov.
we mourn their loss as a nation together. The families of the seven, we cannot bear as you do the full impact of this tragedy. But we feel the loss and we're thinking about you so very much. Your loved ones were daring and brave and they had that special grace, that special spirit that says, give me a challenge and I'll meet it with joy. They had a hunger to explore the universe and discover its truths. They wished to serve and they did. They served all of us. We've grown used to wonders in this century. It's hard to dazzle us. But for 25 years, the United States space program has been doing just that. We've grown used to the idea of space and perhaps we forget that we've only just begun. We're still pioneers. They, the members of the Challenger crew, were pioneers. And I want to say something to the school children of America who were watching the live coverage of the shuttle's takeoff. I know it's hard to understand, but sometimes painful things like this happen. It's all part of the process of exploration and discovery. It's all part of taking a chance and expanding man's horizons. The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. The Challenger crew was pulling us into the future, and we'll continue to follow them. I've always had great faith in and respect for our space program, and what happened today does nothing to diminish it. We don't hide our space program. We don't keep secrets and cover things up. We do it all up front and in public. That's the way freedom is, and we wouldn't change it for a minute. We'll continue our quest in space. There will be more shuttle flights and more shuttle crews, and yes, more volunteers, more civilians, more teachers in space. Nothing ends here. Our hopes and our journeys continue. I want to add that I wish I could talk to every man and woman who works for NASA or who worked on this mission and tell them your dedication and professionalism have moved and impressed us for decades. And we know of your anguish. We share it. There's a coincidence today. On this day, 390 years ago, the great explorer Sir Francis Drake died aboard ship off the coast of Panama. In his lifetime, the great frontiers were the oceans and the Historian later said he lived by the sea, died on it, and was buried in it. Well, today, we can say of the Challenger crew, their dedication was, like Drake's, complete. The crew of the Space Shuttle Challenger honored us for the manner in which they lived their lives. We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning, as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Uh, I, I honestly don't know how in a moment like that, anyone could gather words and put them together in such a way that would be timeless, man, just, it was an amazing speech. And I, maybe that's what you remember of it. Maybe you remember something else. But on this anniversary date of the Challenger explosion, I thought it was fitting for us to re-air that speech. And I know that not every radio program will be able to do that. It's a four-minute segment. But I felt, at least for us here tonight, it would be welcome for this audience. 314-436-7900. It's Overnight America KMOX. 
KMOX is St. Louis's news, talk, sports, radio. Welcome to, again, Overnight America. And I know a lot of emotions to, to hear speeches like that. It's It was a nice one. Um, Bill Harwood was talking about the Day of Remembrance, which is today, and putting it into perspective for NASA. 54 years ago, on January 27th, 1967, three Apollo astronauts were killed in a launch pad fire at Cape Canaveral. 35 years ago, on January 28th, 1986, Challenger 7 crew members, including high school teacher Krista McAuliffe, perished 73 seconds after liftoff when the space shuttle disintegrated after a booster failure. And February 1st will mark the 18th anniversary of the Columbia disaster that claimed seven more astronauts as they were returning to Earth. The Day of Remembrance is meant to honor the fallen crew members and their families and to remind everyone in the space program that lives are on the line and safety is paramount. The more we get into space, the more we explore space and the more that we want to further along space exploration, it makes me wonder really what is there? And I have a hard time looking that far into the future, mostly because I think even if we were to get somewhere, how would it be possible with the vastness of the universe to be able to do anything with it? What is the advantages? What What is it? Is it that we can and we must? I think that someone in the space program would look at it very differently. They would look at it as a necessity. You can credit the Trump administration who refunded NASA. They took a lot of money away from it and they started all of these different missions. I think that when I was younger, astronauts and the idea of space exploration was this much more glorious thought. It was the it, it didn't get any cooler than to say you were an astronaut. And I forgot what comedian it was. Maybe it was Adam Carolla. One of them mentioned you can say Neil Armstrong. You could say Buzz Aldrin. And how many other people that have walked on the surface of the moon can you name? You could be the fourth person to walk on the moon and it could be easily the most awesome type of honor any person on the planet could have and you could say their name and no one would quite know isn't that strange too and how would you like to be one of those people to be able to walk in and, and say you've experienced something that only a handful of people on the planet have experienced but in a way there's probably things that are offered to you in ways that you may be one of the only people to experience it I mean, you might not be the first person to experience what it's like to fall in love or start a family or hold a child for the first time and look at their face and just feel all the pride in that. But you would be the first person for that child, for that person, then, you know, the, the, the spouse of that. And there's all these other little things that I, I feel like you can explore and enjoy for yourself. And you may feel like it's uh something that no one else has experienced. And, you know, maybe in a way we need to find those little simple joys in life. We need to find that there are those things that we can hold on to and know it's it's ours and we don't have to worry about all the big things all the time. I feel maybe when the virus hit and people started to sit back in their own homes and they felt isolated from everyone else and they felt insignificant and helpless and all of these other feelings... It's a step in the wrong direction. And even last night, we had a guest on from California, and he was a person that talks a lot about that. I'm somewhat of a motivational speaker, but if anything else, just reminded us of all the good things that are still around us. We don't think about those good things all that often. We're so often consumed with the bad. And I feel like I, in a way, consume myself with them. 
I consume uh, consume myself with things that are not necessarily stories of all good, all uplifting. And it's hard. I mean, you got to be honest. It is hard to find positive stories anymore. It just is. I don't know if there's a way to change that. It seems like the things that are important in the world and the things that are reported on and the things that we talk about and discuss are all things that are negative. There is one good report, and thank goodness at least there's one good one, and KMOX.com, Adam Wainwright. Looks like it's going to be another year for him in St. Louis, and I'm so happy to see that. So the Cardinals have reportedly signed a deal with Adam Wainwright. Uh, Radio.com Sports Insider John Heyman reports the deal is for one year worth $8 million. John Heyman says, local guy in a legend in St. Louis for good reason. No word yet on Yachty in the future, but we know the two of them have such a strong bond. I would hope, 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 hope there is an indication that Yachty would say, all right, if uh, Wayno's coming back for a year, so will I. They've been teammates for 16 years, have played in seven postseasons together. There's actually a great interview that was recorded, uh, I think, at the start of last year. You can actually go watch that inside of the story at KMOX.com. At least there is one good thing left. One good thing left. And I hope that we get to spend all that time enjoying it, even if it is one last ride. Maybe we need to watch this and recognize that this could be it and savor it while it's here. When we come back, we have from the the Pew organization, Pew Research, you uh, probably have heard them in the past. We've welcomed them the last couple of years when they do their State of the States series. And John Greenberger, the executive editor for State Line, is going to join us right after the break. We'll get that after the weather, too, on Overnight America KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. News Radio 1120 KMOX. The voice of the Cardinals. And welcome back to Overnight America. See, I'm messing pretty much everything out tonight, so we're going to hope for the best here because mostly I have been uh, trying to do about a, a couple of things in the background. Joining us now is the executive editor of Stateline, and every year we have on someone to talk about the state of the states. It's a series where they go through and look at some of the issues each state is facing, and Missouri one of those states that faces problems that a lot of other states do. Joining us now is that executive uh, editor of Pew State Line, Scott Greenberger. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. You know, I think I called you John before the break, so I apologize. You're probably sitting there listening and thinking, oh, 
So what? Oh, uh, <laughs> no. Um, uh, so the state of the state, we look at the different issues that states are facing, like Missouri. And every day this week, uh, state line, what you've been doing is putting together some of the different things that you are monitoring in each state. Like on Monday, uh, legislating for the courts, uh, the national reckoning, uh, reckoning on Tuesday, public health on Wednesday helping people hurt by the downturn on Thursday and redistricting on Friday. So I wanted to look at each of these points. And if you have any input or how Missouri might fall into it, and let's go to the beginning, legislating for the courts. Sure. So this, uh, the, the story that we ran Monday, legislating for the courts, uh, talks a lot about, uh, focuses on the issue of abortion rights and the fact that, um, uh, former president Trump appointed, uh, more than 220, uh, judges to the federal judiciary, the Supreme Court nominations um, and confirmations got the most attention, but but there were many, many other judges appointed. And as a result of that, most of those judges, of course, uh, have a conservative um, outlook. And so uh, that is prompting uh, a lot of activity um, in the abortion debate from both sides of the issue, actually, because uh, people who would like to curb abortion rights uh, have been emboldened to um, pass legislation uh, that that uh, places new restrictions on it um, because they're thinking that if uh, those laws are challenged in the courts, that they're likely to get a favorable hearing and favorable rulings. And then on the other side, people who are supportive of abortion rights, they want to uh, pass legislation in states that are already uh, um, pro-abortion rights to enshrine those rights in law just in case uh, the Supreme Court ends up overturning Roe v. Wade. Yeah. So as states watch this sort of thing, a lot of times each individual state has their own laws and how they approach it, like here in Missouri. Um, normally you see more red states, more restrictive in, in different ways that they handle it. So how does Missouri fall into this? Is there um, anything unique about this state? Well, Missouri is, uh, you know, is a red state, of course, and it is um, it does definitely fall squarely into the column of states uh, that have taken steps to restrict abortion rights. Um, uh, you may remember a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago in August uh, 2019, a federal judge in Missouri blocked uh, the state from enforcing a ban on abortions after the eighth week of pregnancy. But it let stand other aspects of that law. Um, he, uh, the judge did not block the parts of the law banning abortions motivated by race, sex or or a Down syndrome diagnosis. Um, I don't know. Missouri's gone pretty far in the direction of restrictions already, so we don't anticipate a whole lot of action on that front uh, in the current session. But in many other states, they will be trying to enact new restrictions, and perhaps in Missouri as well. You know, I'm kind of surprised this is one of the larger issues that states are facing, mostly because of everything else that's going on in the world. I, I feel like when we started talking about the virus and reaction and economies and things like that, for the most part, people were really focused on their finances, their family, their home, their job and stuff like this. I don't even know. We talked about it last year. It seems like this was just kind of like pushed away. Well, that's right. I think there's a lot of sort of pent up demand also for uh, bills on this particular issue. The, a lot of the legislative sessions last year, of course, were were cut short uh, by the pandemic or, or, you know, were dominated by the pandemic in other ways. So there wasn't a lot yeah. of uh, a lot of action on this issue. Um, but I think there will be this year uh, yeah. as as state lawmakers return. So it's almost like they, there's some business that needs tending to in that case. And these are some of the things that they're going to be catching up on. Um, so let's look at yeah, uh, legislating. Yeah. From, um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. 
Well, I was just going to say that the pandemic also is related to this issue, just in that, you know, as, as people have been more accustomed to using telemedicine, when we talk about uh, medication abortions, the use of the pills for abortion, people, there have been fights uh, over whether um, the previous requirement that women have to go uh, see a doctor in person to get the first of those pills, whether that should still be in place when they've waived uh, those sort of in-person rules for a lot of other medical procedures. So even in that sense, you know, the pandemic has sort of prompted a, a new conversation on, on that front. So on Tuesday, uh, part of Pew State Line was looking at the national reckoning. Uh, reckoning. What does that uh, look at? Well, if we were focusing on the national reckoning with race, of course, uh, you know, with the uh, demonstrations um, last summer and, and several years before that, of course, it all you could argue it all really began in Ferguson um, in 2014, I guess. But many, many legislatures, including Missouri's, are taking a look at uh, various ways to change uh, uh, policing. Um, one uh, very popular um, uh, step that is being considered in Missouri and has some support among Republicans as well as Democrats is a proposed ban on police chokeholds. And then uh, and then there are also many other um uh, piece of legislation that has been proposed in Missouri that would be uh, trying to increase the accountability of the police and try to cut down on some of the incidents that we've seen um, and, you know, paid so much attention to over the past few years. Um, okay, so that's one and two. And I think the policing issue was brought up a few times early last year before a lot of the virus, what we saw, uh, some nationwide protests based on what happened in Minneapolis prompted a lot of legislators to want to get out in front of this um, and, and try to change some of these things. The no-knock warrants were a pretty popular thing, too. So there, that's, right. that's always going to be um, one. And I think there's a lot of bipartisan support on the way that they try to handle this. Another thing is public health. And I think this is probably the thing that's on the top of everyone's mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, of course, we're all we're in the midst of a, the worst pandemic in a century, and um, it's been it's been awful. But uh, we spoke to a lot of people who said that public health experts who said that we really could have been better prepared, uh, except that over the past ten years or so, uh, from the national level all the way down to states and localities, we really have not funded uh, public health agencies sufficiently, and there's been a, sort of a hollowing out of those public health entities um, that might have helped us respond better to the pandemic. I don't think anyone's arguing that, uh, you know, it would have made it uh, a walk in the park, but we probably could have done a better job on some of these things, such as testing and contact tracing. And now with the with the rollout of the vaccine as well, um, if we hadn't, if we had invested more in uh, sort of long-term public health uh, measures and our public health infrastructure, and unfortunately, uh, another impact of the pandemic is that um, tax revenue is way, way down for all levels of government. So it doesn't seem likely, uh, unfortunately, that most states are going to have the resources or the will to to try and address this, which uh, which you know raises the possibility that uh, if and when there's another pandemic, we won't be ready for that one either. Yeah, this is a tough one because there's so many different governments that have different ways of handling it. Like even here in St. Louis, we have the city of St. Louis, and then we have St. Louis County, which kind of surrounds it. And each of them handled it a different way. Some have more restrictions than others because of public health. There's always question if it's necessary, when it's necessary, how much of it is necessary. There's people that resist. There's people that want to, uh, you know, fight the people resisting. And there's just so many different things that go into it. It's almost hard to look at the public health aspect 
without politicizing it because it's just so into the middle of it. And that's maybe one of the hardest things when you're trying to fight a pandemic like this. Absolutely. I mean, this political, uh, the, the fact that it has been politicized, um, uh, to the point where in some, in some places, uh, public health officials have been, uh, subjected to death threats. Um, and many have resigned, um, under the tremendous pressure. And so, uh, you know, once we're through this, we, uh, we face the, the challenge of trying to replace some of these people, um, who, who left, uh, because they were being treated so poorly. And, and it is, it's public health, uh, you know, I think people were surprised at how politicized it became when the issue, you know, I heard an ad, we're waiting to come on for, uh, for uh, urging people to wear masks. I mean, that, that kind of thing uh, has become um, a real, uh, a real tension point in a lot of places in the country. And that has dissuaded uh, uh, people from wanting to remain in the public health field. I'm so glad you didn't mention the other ad. (laughs) There is all kinds of other things that are going on in the world, in public health. It all ties into so many other things. Like now we're still talking about how we're handling schools, if we're getting the kids back in fast enough. Uh, The CDC and them have different recommendations. Now it's vaccines. So that's something that's going to take a while, too, to uh, sort out on uh, on many different levels. Um, One of the other things that came out today was helping people hurt by the downturn. So the economic economic side, what's the the federal response, but locally states have a big way of how they respond to help individuals. They do. I mean, this is a huge, huge area. Of course, so many people have been hurt by the pandemic um, in terms of their livelihoods. And uh, many, many people are behind uh, on their rent, can't pay their rent or are, are worried about being evicted. There are people who are worried about having their uh, their water and their electricity shut off because they haven't been paying the bills. I mean, this is a real problem, and it's one that that won't go away even when the pandemic is declared over, whenever that is, because there's all of this accumulated debt. And so, um, you know, there have been steps taken at different levels of government. The federal government, uh, President Biden recently extended the federal moratorium on evictions until the end of March, and then uh, states, uh, but there are a lot of loopholes in that, and, and it doesn't uh, protect everybody. Um and so, so many states have enacted their own um, eviction moratoriums, and, and cities have too. And in fact, St. Louis, uh, uh, St. Louis court recently extended um, the eviction uh, moratorium in the city till the end of January. Uh, and then also, uh, three of the regional utilities in the St. Louis area um, are saying that they won't uh, shut off people's utilities for non-payment. But this is a, you know, this is a long-term problem as well. Uh, you know, of course, if people can't pay their rent, then landlords aren't collecting the income and, and, and many of them may have mortgages that are, that are um, mortgage payments that they have to make. So it's, uh, it's a real problem. Some of this federal money that was just approved as part of the latest uh, stimulus, states are using that for uh, housing-related uh, um, relief, but uh, nobody thinks that it's going to be enough. So this is a problem that's going to be with us for a while. Yeah, it seems like there's going to be a lot that has to do with a federal response and even locally here when it comes to the individual monies that were given to the different cities and the counties or whatever it may be. They find different ways to approach that. Some have been more responsible than others. Some have burned through it in ways and you go back and look and listen, St. Louis has got its problems. St. Louis County's got a lot of problems. So this is something we follow pretty closely. It's hard to imagine that a local and a state response is going to get it done. It seems like the only way they're going to be able to help people is on a federal level, because if they're going to continue this national moratorium on evictions, it seems like 
the federal side is going to have to bear the burden when it comes to the amounts of money that'll be lost when people at the end of this can't pay with their back rent. So there, there's probably going to be another stimulus in the future. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, the Biden administration and the Democrats on, on Capitol Hill here in Washington are, are trying to come up with a new package right now, one that would be much larger than the, than the last one that um, that President Trump signed. Uh, that one, I think, was the neighborhood of nine hundred billion, that last one. And this one, I think uh, President Biden is talking about something like one point six um, trillion. So, yeah, I mean, certainly there is debate ongoing um, in Washington, D.C. over uh, how much money, how much more money is going to be needed um, right away. And and as far as Biden's concerned, that's just I think he's referred to that as a down payment. He thinks there would have to be even more than that afterwards. So, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of need out there. The other thing is going to be released tomorrow, and I should probably mention that if while we're having this conversation, if someone wanted to see the reports and how they play out in the different states, where can they actually find these? Yeah, that's it uh, on our site, stateline.org. The articles are all all posted there. Stateline.org and Pew's Stateline Executive Editor Scott Greenberger joining us. Tomorrow we talk redistricting. That's what you're going to be posting on Stateline.org. It may be a preview of that. How is this time around different than any other time? Because mostly we talk about redistricting in a way of gerrymandering and how they break down House seats, things like that. Uh, Is there anything that's unique to this one? As in, is there anything different than what we've discussed in the past? Well, I mean, it, it's it's a big deal whenever it happens because it only happens every every ten years after the census, uh, based on you know the population changes that are reflected in the census. Uh, each state has its own process um, for drawing the state legislative lines and also the district lines for the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, in the past uh, ten years, we saw a lot of court cases, uh, fights over this, where Republicans who had um, uh, taking control of a majority of state houses in the 2010 elections, used that power in 2011 and beyond to draw the maps to their benefit, which the Democrats do as well when they're in control. And a lot of those maps were challenged in court. And uh, so in some cases, states were forced to redraw them, uh, sometimes more than once. Um And uh, one of the results of that, actually, is that many states have decided that they want to move away from a system under which state legislators are the ones who draw the lines and and move to some system, some sort of system where a commission, either nonpartisan or or bipartisan, um, uh, does that. So many states have moved in that direction over the past decade. Uh, Missouri actually is an interesting case because it's the one state that did voters did approve a change, uh, taking it away from state legislators and giving the responsibility to a nonpartisan demographer. Uh, but then in, in 2020, in this most recent uh, election, they reversed themselves again, the, the Missouri voters, and decided to go back to um, uh, a system under which legislators would do it. That was pushed by Republicans who dominate the, the state government of Missouri. And, and many uh, people who opposed that, that switchback said that uh, voters were, were misled and didn't really understand what they were doing with that. But, but Missouri is a very interesting case. Are any other states like Missouri in that case? Do you find that they all tried to approach it before the census or is Missouri in the minority in that sense? Well, Missouri is is in the minority in that it made the switch and then and then switched back. Uh, other states um, did decide to move away from um, 
the process, uh, putting the process in the in the hands of of uh, legislators, and instead uh, letting um, uh, coming up with some sort of other system designed to eliminate uh, what is uh, generally called gerrymandering, which is the drawing yeah. of the districts in such a way that the majority party uh, makes it very very difficult for the minority party to um, pick up seats. Okay. So again, if people wanted to read some of these different issues that states are facing, you can go through them, realize there's going to be ties to Missouri, but then you can also find out because I mean, there's, we at night here at KMOX reach like 35 different states. So they may be listening where they're at and curious about their own individual states. Is it just easiest to go to stateline.org? Yes, that's right. And we, you know, what we do with these stories and, and all the time, actually, is we try to cover state and local policy from a national perspective so people can compare what's happening in their state to what's going on in other states. So I think it's uh, it's designed to be for a national audience, for people who live in any state. So I think uh, any of your listeners would find it interesting. Yeah, it's probably best for us to realize that we're not alone. I mean, the states have similar problems that they're facing in different ways. We can use it as an opportunity to see what works, what doesn't in similar types of states. And hopefully we learn from it. But eh, I don't know if we necessarily learn from it, but it's important that we study it, which exactly what you guys do at Pew Stateline. So stateline.org in their executive editor, Scott Greenberger. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX tonight. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It was fun. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. Wow, it's uh, Overnight America. Thanks for hanging out with us here tonight. And it's always good to know, hey, we're not the only place that has problems. I know Missouri, generally speaking, is a pretty awesome state when it comes to freedoms. But what we're not getting right now is that... uh, every other state is is able to operate in the same way. I think we're pretty lucky in this way. I do like the approach of Governor Parson. I feel like he's done a good job of allowing different places to handle things the way they see fit. So as opposed to him saying, well, St. Louis County's got it right, so everyone's got to be like St. Louis County. Oi, you imagine if that was true for the whole state and you had no other options. So let's, uh, let's be grateful for that. I think that... I wanted to bring up just a few things, but we do have some great guests in the next hour. Elaine Kalati is from the Discovery Series Undercover Billionaire. Weird concept. They go into certain situations with a minimal investment with the idea of making you a million dollars. So if you're a business or trying to think, how, how in the world do you even do that? This is how. I mean, this is what they do. And it's kind of their goal. They say, okay, we're going to give you a hundred bucks or whatever, and we're going to try to make that hundred bucks into a million in 90 days. Is that even possible? I don't know. But I also want to talk about the class action lawsuit filed against the app Robinhood. It's restricting trading, and that got a lot of people talking today. We're also going to be joined later tonight by someone who worked in the Trump administration in the Treasury Department and also the Commerce Departments that wanted to talk about the GameStop. Uh, story. We talked about it yesterday, at least from an investing standpoint of what it meant. But he says this is even bigger. This is part of a larger populist movement, and this is why they're terrified of it on Wall Street. You know who opened their show today talking about it was Rush Limbaugh. He was so into it. He loved, 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 loved that people were um, people were going in, doing these things for themselves, taking it on and being successful. He loved the idea that the the elites or the deep state of 
Wall Street or whatever he was calling it, uh, were scared. He loved it. So if you had a chance to listen, Rush Limbaugh, it's his treatment week, but he came in and did the show tonight or today, I should say, worth listening to if you get a chance. But he was really into it. A few other things. I saw this online. Facebook says it'll permanently stop recommending political groups. A watchdog and advocacy groups have pushed for Facebook to limit restrictions. So that's the thing. They say in October that it was um, halting temporarily recommendations for political groups. And now they say, oh, they're just going to continue uh, continue on with this. The um, They say that Facebook groups, quote, breeding groups for hate, end quote, and noted that it's been uh, venues of planning this since the U.S. Capitol attack that happened on January 6th. I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, honestly. I feel that they could have... Um, they could have looked at this and realized that whenever these restrictions are imposed, you find that the reaction is normally as strong. So if you tell someone they can't do something, ultimately they find a way to do it even harder. That's how they happens. Um, and, and this is part of the Fox News story that I'm reading this from. But several watchdogs and groups have pushed for Facebook to limit the algorithms when it comes to recommendations. And this is their way of manipulating those sort of things. I want to just point this out because this argument comes up a lot. The argument, which is, oh, we're so big, we can't even we couldn't even manipulate the algorithms, even if we wanted to. You know how Twitter says that about their trending tab? If you want to go and see the keywords that are trending and whenever something's up there and something else doesn't make it, they say, oh, that's not how it works. You can't manipulate it. They don't do this or don't do that. And here comes Facebook, who specifically says, we are manipulating the algorithm. <laughs> so what, you think Twitter can't do it? You think Google can't do it, but Facebook can? Now, Google even got in trouble for doing it over in the EU, the European Union, and they got a, a giant billion-dollar fine. The fine that was uh, limiting search results for different people, uh, uh, different companies that were using the shop feature online. And Google was giving preferential treatment to their own vendors and to themselves. And they were pushing down the line, other people that were trying to do commerce online. And they said, that's not fair. That's anti-competitive. And the courts agree. They find Google for it. So yeah, they manipulate their search engines. They manipulate their shopping. They man And Facebook's manipulating the uh, algorithms. You better believe all the different companies are doing it. So I think this is a good example and proof that they're not immune at all to it. All right, so how do you make a million dollars? Maybe sometimes it takes a billionaire to figure it out. And we'll talk about that coming after the break on KMOX. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 